Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom by celebrating the diverse in their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Amelia Gaffin. Amelia, welcome. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me on your show. I'm great. Good. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, who are you, Amelia? Um, so I am the co-founder and CTO of a site and nonprofit organization called My Trans Health. Um, I've been working with My Trans Health since October of 2014, and I am also one of the engineers um, at My Trans Health. So I just learned about My Trans Health two or three weeks ago. Um, it was because you have a Kickstarter right now. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So we are we launched a Kickstarter three weeks ago, I think it was, to um, raise money to help us build out the site and to also get the organization started. And a lot of the site's built, but one of the things that we're doing is we are actually vetting and talking to doctors and providers so that, you know, when you get information from our site, we've already gone through it to make sure you can trust it and that there's some sort of accountability there. So some a lot of the money is going to be to having people on the ground in various cities around the country and hopefully in the future around the world, actually talking to doctors and getting to know them so that we know if they're going to be a good fit for a transgender patient. So we're using a lot of the money towards that. Um, and then there will be also, you know, the normal things like server costs and development things. So let's talk about what My Trans Health does. That actually probably should have been my first question. So sure. it's a nonprofit organization. What is the goal of the organization? So the goal is to make finding a doctor or a nurse practitioner or like a therapist, counselor, you know, medical or mental health, anything along those lines or even a crisis service, uh, we, we want to make that easier for trans people. We want to, we want to remove the uncertainty that comes with uh, finding a doctor, because a lot of times you don't know if a doctor or any provider has any experience with trans people or not. You don't know how they're going to treat you, if they are going to treat you like a human, if they are going to be knowledgeable about the kind of care that trans people need. Uh, you don't know if they're going to ask you invasive questions about your genitals that aren't relevant to the reason why you're there. So we really want to tackle that as well as a lot of other health issues that trans people have. And the first step is that we are going to build out a site where trans people can find these providers who are going to give them the care they're looking for and treat them with, with respect. And we also plan to start doing education and help doctors learn what trans people need in terms of just, you know, how to talk to us and treat us like human beings, mm. you know, like how important simple things like pronouns are and using the names that we give. And, you know, hopefully we'll continue from there to really make an impact in healthcare for trans people. I think it's amazing. I'm so glad that you're doing this because, um, you know, I'm, I'm cisgender. I have my own issues with doctors, but they're you know, completely removed from um, what the transgender population has to face. And I know that going to the doctor is a cause of anxiety 
for a lot of my trans friends. They 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 will put things off until they come to a point where they're in an urgent or emergent situation um, and they have no choice but to go to like an emergency room. So um, thank you so much. Like on behalf of my friends, I'm so glad that this is something that you're doing because, you know, it's so important to have a, a good relationship with your healthcare practitioners and you can't do that if they're constantly disrespecting you. Absolutely. It's really difficult to feel comfortable when the doctor is calling you by different pronouns. They're, not, they're using a name that is just, you don't want to hear that name anymore. You know, it's like you say, I, I walk in and I say, my name is Amelia, and they are calling me by my birth name. And they are confused by me. Um, it's very, it's, it's very, very stressful. and. It can add to a lot of the mental health issues that um, trans people also face. And it just, it makes things a lot harder. We spend a lot of time dealing with things that take away from our ability to lead successful lives in other ways. I spend a lot of time, you know, researching doctors while I'm at work when I should be getting work done. So we really want to make an impact there. So... You have the, I'm sorry, tell me again, you have the website in place and what you're focusing now is actually on vetting doctors. Yes. So yes, we're continuing to build out the site right now. Um, We haven't, we are hoping to launch in the fall, around mid-fall. And at the same time, we're working towards vetting doctors and populating our database with different providers. That is such a huge undertaking. Yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> how, how, how do you even get started with that? You know, it's difficult. Uh, luckily, I, I feel like I'm on the easier side of things, being one of the engineers and focusing on that. Um, our executive director, Cade, is really, he, he has his hands full with the vetting stuff and things like that. But, you know, you, you kind of start small. You do research for... Uh, for doctors that you already know, you ask your trans friends who they go to, and you start building a list of doctors to talk to. And you go from there. Since we announced our project uh, two months ago in June, we've had a lot of people reach out to us, actually. Uh, We've had providers reach out to us and say that they want to be listed on our site and they wanted to work with us. We've had trans people uh, reach out and tell us that they've had either really good or really bad experiences with different doctors. So it's given us a lot to just populate this big spreadsheet we have of doctors that we need to call and talk to. Wow. So how many people are on staff at this point? At the moment, we're five people. Oh, we're, gosh. The four, yeah, we're the four co-founders plus one additional volunteer engineer. Once the Kickstarter finishes and we know exactly what we have to work with, we'll be really starting to build out our volunteer team in various places and probably be paying people. Uh, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot more people we need to get involved. It can't just be the five of us, but we've been talking to people. We have a lot of people who have reached out, said that they want to volunteer. They want to put time into working with us and helping us. So tell me about how you got started. Um, how did you meet the co-founders and how did you decide that 
that you wanted to start a nonprofit and actually start taking steps to help solve this problem? Sure. So I have a coworker who is actually Cade, uh, Cade's roommate, and her and I started on the same day, funnily enough. And she was like, hey, I have this friend who wants to build this site for trans people related to healthcare. And you're an engineer. So and he's looking for an engineer. Can I introduce the two of you? So we all went to the bar one night and Cade told me about what he wanted to do. And I was like, you know, I'm really on board with that. I struggle with that myself and I want to make a difference. Let's do it. So we talked a bit and we kind of figured out what we might need to get started. And I knew Annika and Robin, who are the other two co-founders from Twitter and just, you know, around the trans community. So I reached out to them and just kind of threw something up on Twitter and said, hey, are there any engineers who are trans who are looking for a project to work on? And I was a little vague about it at first, but I got, you know, some interest and we started talking and the four of us clicked really well. So that's kind of how it got started. And it was a little slow at first trying to get get going with uh, our various schedules. But once we really hit our stride earlier this year, it started really, really going quickly. The Kickstarter kind of just like came right up on us. It's like, you know, we need to get money. So we should do a Kickstarter. We kind of set some dates and, and just ran with it. And Annika and I have been doing engineering work for the last few months. And it's progressing really well. Good. What kind of feedback are you getting? Is it mostly positive? It's almost entirely positive. We're getting a lot of people who are just thanking us for doing this. Uh, a lot of people are saying, you know, this is really great. They, people really want to help. They're really eager to support us. And it's been really great. It's been, I don't know, it, it's been this like really weird mix of emotions because you know, I'm really excited to get this positive feedback, but at the same time, I've been trying to tell people, you know, well, hold on, let's let's wait till we ship. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. We have a lot of work to do, <laughs> and there's a lot we want to do. So you don't want to get too far ahead in that, you know. And I I kind of like to drop it into our internal Slack chat every once in a while, like, hey, we haven't done, we haven't shipped anything yet, so let's not get too excited here. We have a lot of work and. I feel like every step of the way, we're always going to have the hardest part ahead of us. No matter what we do, the hardest things are going to be yet to come. You know, like every, everything ahead and every goal we have just builds and gets harder and harder to accomplish. So we have, a, we have our work cut out for us. <laughs> well, I think that's true of any any big undertaking, you know, and especially something that has uh, such far-reaching implications it's it's a lot of work i don't i don't envy you the work that you have ahead yeah i but you know i i look forward to it and i'm kind of excited by it i'm excited to take these challenges on and find creative solutions to fixing them well and that's what engineering is really isn't it it is it's exactly what it is that's how it got started in engineering so tell me about that. How did you, what was your path to engineering? 
Uh, mine was a little non-traditional. I'm a self-taught engineer. I went to college as a sociology and psychology major, which are not super useful majors in themselves. Without a PhD. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I was also really, really involved in my college radio station. I was head music director and I spent most of my time there, but we didn't have software to do a lot of the things I needed to just like catalog our library, to track what our DJs were playing, to manage our uh, DJ population. I don't even know what to, to just, you know, manage the whole organization. Mm -hmm. We had so many things that we we're doing by hand on paper and it was like 2005. It wasn't, you know, the middle ages. It wasn't like that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like we we needed something and it was absurd that there wasn't anything out there that was going to work for us. So shortly after I graduated, I was still volunteering there. And I kind of got frustrated that we didn't have anything still, even though it wasn't as much my problem. So I went out to the bookstore one day, just bought a book that was literally called How to Do Everything with PHP. Oh, no. Yeah, it was the most like vague thing. It was just like, here, do everything. But I read through the book and and I learned enough to write some software. And I mean, 10 years later, they're still using it there. I'm not a part of the station anymore, but they still use it. And that's kind of how I learned to program. I Googled a lot of stuff along the way. I reached out to some friends I had. And my career kind of got, I, I got, I got started in this lucky way that a community DJ we had at the station worked at a company doing engineering. And he said to me one day, you know, I, I love what you did with this. And that's really amazing. I think you should come work at the company I work for. And I kind of said, thanks, but no thanks. I don't, I don't think that I'm good enough for that. I don't know what I'm doing. I just kind of threw this together. And it took a lot of prodding on his end to convince me. So finally, I gave him a resume and I actually got the job, which kind of surprised me. But I was there for six and a half years at a company that makes payroll and time and attendance software. It was super boring, but I learned a ton. I, I learned a lot. And I left there last year to go to my current job where I feel like I know nothing again. And it's actually, it's actually kind of awesome to have all these challenges and know that there's so much to learn. And no matter how much I learn, I just keep finding new things to learn. But it's also a little scary to be out of your comfort zone almost 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. You're like, is anybody going to notice I don't belong here? <laughs> you get really bad uh, imposter syndrome. Right. So what languages are you currently using? Are you still steeped in PHP? Um, so we use PHP at my current job, and I also do some work on our iOS app, which is mostly Objective-C, and we're trying to do everything new and Swift, mm -hmm. but it's still like 95% Objective-C. My last job was Java, which is oh. at this point my strongest language because I spent six and a half years working in it, mm -hmm. and I have the most experience with it there. So. It's it's interesting to have come back to PHP, especially after having worked in Java. And, um, and now I realize like, oh, PHP is a mess. 
So Java is the language that made me drop out of the computer science program. Um, so I had I had a dual problem where I couldn't pass pre-calc. Listeners of the show know I couldn't pass pre-calc. And I also could not figure Java out. And that was the first uh, class you had to take before you could take any other programming languages or learn any other programming languages in curriculum. And so like I never I never got past Java. I can still remember the book that we used okay. because I hated that book so much by the time I finished oh. the semester. Java's I think I feel like an object oriented language is tough to start out with when you've never written a line of code. PHP was easy because it's you know, you could just kind of throw some stuff up on the screen and kind of get like a web page to show up. And you could slowly learn how to make that web page functional and look good and do things. Whereas Java, you have to pretty much right off the bat understand how classes and objects work. And there's kind of a lot more to learn before you can really get started, I feel like. It's a really steep ramp up. Yeah. 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 When I when I started at my last job, I was like, what is this? I was like, what's a class? What is an <laughs> object? What is this? I I was so out of my comfort zone and I was just constantly freaking out. So how did you learn then? You had this job to program in a language you didn't know. And it's not, you know, again, object oriented programming is not like a simple, simple thing to get conceptually. It takes some work. So how how was that? It was a struggle at first. I they for the most part just kind of threw me in and were like, you're smart enough to figure it out, so do it. Because <laughs> they, they knew my background. So they knew that I could teach myself. So they mostly just threw me in. I asked a lot of questions. One of the senior engineers would sit with me some here and there. But for the most part, I had to basically be Googling things, uh, read through some tutorials online on basic stuff. and feel it out. I would try things. I would change a line of code, see what happens. Uh, once I learned how to actually set breakpoints and debug, mm -hmm. that helped a lot. Yeah. Because then you, I could actually start stepping through the code line by line and see how it was flowing and how one class would call another and actually develop a firm grasp on that. But it took a while. My first six months there were terrifying. I'm I'm just absolutely in awe. I'm just uh I'm I'm working on learning Objective C right now and then I'm going to move on to Swift and um I I couldn't imagine not not knowing Objective C and just starting a job and learning it as I went. I I just I wow. <laughs> Objective C is tough too. It's a very It's complicated. It feels yeah, and it feels old-fashioned by most of the standard, by in comparison to most of the other stuff I work with. And I learned Objective C only a few months ago, back in April it was, or it was March or April. Uh, my company started doing uh, mobile development training classes that were taught by our iOS and Android teams because they wanted to get more engineers involved in the mobile development. So that we could actually, instead of having just a singular iOS team and a singular Android team that did all of the work on the apps, we wanted to be able to have 
the other teams that worked on the product work on their individual features. So um, a team that works on messaging could do the messaging stuff for both the web and the mobile apps. Mm. So they were doing a lot of internal training. I was like, you know, I like learning things. So I signed up and I did the iOS class and it was like, okay, I kind of get this, but this is, you know, a little different than anything I've done to date. And then what you do at the end of the class is you boot camp with the iOS team or the Android team if you did the Android training. And what that means is you sit with them for two or three weeks. And for, those, for that period of time, you're on that team. You work on their projects, you go to their meetings, and it's just like you're a regular member of that team and you don't work with your other team during that period of time. So they kind of just throw you in and start giving you things to work on. And I would get uh, tasks and projects. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Even after going through the class, our app is really complex and sprawling. <laughs> and there's a lot to it. So I was definitely a little overwhelmed. And then I went back to my team and I didn't do anything with iOS for a little while. And then I moved to a different team separate from all that and they're like here's a project that we need to get done and there's a hard deadline on it so get to it and that that was tough i definitely had to ask for some help and do a little pair programming with one of our experienced ios engineers but i learned <laughs> i still feel like i don't know what i'm doing but uh -huh. i I feel like I know a little more than I did before. It's um, it's funny because I I work I also work for um a company that creates apps and um, I actually went to WWDC on scholarship this year, and um, so it was like, oh great, you 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 had to write an app to get the scholarship. That was your application was an app, mm -hmm. so you are now suitable to start working on our iOS app. And I was just like, oh. no, <laughs> wait, what? And so they're like, yeah, we'll add you to the repo. Uh, here you go. And I was like, all right. <laughs> you know, and they were like, like, Oh no. Yeah. Right. And they were like, go on the bug tracker and find some of the things that you've, some of the bugs that you filed about um, language in the app and just go, go close those, like go fix the app and close those. So I'm like, and they're like editing in us strings and trying not to cry because I'm afraid I'm going to accidentally like typo somewhere when I'm trying to press like an arrow key and I'm going to break everything. And <laughs> it was very, very traumatic. Yeah, totally. It's interesting. I went to WWDC this year too, because I happened to be boot camping with them when the, um, lottery for that happened uh -huh. and the ios team managers like everybody you know put your name in the lottery we're going to send as many people as get in oh wow and and they're like we'll deal with it because we had a little flexibility to if somebody got in transfer that to somebody else through our organization as long as you used the account connected to my company and i got in and somehow most of our ios team also got in so they were like, do you want to go? And I, was, I said, yeah, I would, I would love to go as long as I'm not taking a spot from somebody else who wants to go who's probably going to get a little more out of it. But they sent me, and it was super overwhelming mm -hmm. in that 
I felt like I didn't know enough to get a lot out of some sessions, but there were also a lot of sessions. I was like, oh, all of this clicks now. Nice. Yeah. So that was really good, but it was, I felt like such a noob. Yeah. I, I can relate. I can relate. I was sitting in there, you know, I remember I was watching, uh, one of the watch OS sessions texting my husband. I was like, I have no idea what they're saying. Like they're literally <laughs> speaking another language. I do not know what's going on. And he was like, just, just sit back, relax, let it wash over you. He was like, it'll make sense later. I promise it'll make sense later, but just, <laughs> just get used to it. And it was just like, I, I felt very, uh, I felt very out of place. Yeah. it's. You feel like it's it's that's when the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. really, really gets up. You're like, is somebody going to notice that I right. don't belong here? Yeah. Are they going to just like look and see the dumbfounded look on my face? Yeah. You always I always wonder that. And it's really funny because I was on Slack talking to my coworkers back in New York and we have we're a little out of control with our Slack. We have something like 300 channels. Oh, gosh. We have a lot of Slack channels. Oh, no. so one of the, yeah, one of them is we have a Femgineer one and a Hey Ladies one. Femgineer is great because it's just all the female engineers. And Hey Ladies is just all the women in the company, which is nice to have like our own little spaces. And we got started talking about um, imposter syndrome. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this is just like a woman thing. Like, I don't think men actually feel this. And they were like, uh, you might be wrong on that. And I was like, I, I don't know. I feel like men are much more confident about it. So I straight up asked two of my coworkers at breakfast the next morning, like, oh, we get this constantly. They So it was it was really nice to kind of hear just how prevalent it is just across the board. Yeah. Just everybody gets imposter syndrome. So that that made me feel a lot at ease. I think that it's just the way that women are s- not maybe not entirely, but a lot of it is the way that women are socialized versus the way men are socialized and how we're taught to act. Like, I don't feel like men are given permission to act like they're completely overwhelmed and feel feel like they're in over their heads. Yeah. Whereas like women, women are given the space to do that in our society a little bit more. And with men, confidence is really rewarded. So acting confident and as if you are in control of everything and you know everything is really rewarded for men but it's not so much for women a lot of the time so i feel like we learn over the course of growing up and over the years to kind of take a step back and be a little more unsure it's a very it's it's very interesting yeah i um Sometimes I wish I had majored in psychology and sociology so that I could examine those things a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I wish that the classes I took more were more related to those topics now. Because I took a lot of like social theory classes. I was really into social theory when I was in school. And I feel like I took a lot more. I, I wish I had taken more that had to do with differences between genders and socialization along those lines. I feel like those kinds of classes kind of get put in the like the feminist studies category more than psycho like the straight psychology and sociology classes do. Yeah, definitely. 
So it sounds like you work for a really supportive company. I um, And I've got to say, it's amazing at WWDC when I was like, sweating, you know, pushing to the repo that I was going to mess things up. You know, our lead iOS developer was like sitting right next to me and he was like, nope, like you're doing this. It's going to be amazing. And I think he was more happy when I did it than I was. And I was pretty thrilled. I was like, this is a really, really cool feeling. And like, he was, he was amazing. He was just like grinning. Um, but it sounds like your company, you, you're kind of in, uh, in that kind of, um, environment too, where it's just like, do do whatever you can do yeah we have a really really supportive environment so i actually work at tumblr okay and it's it's really really open and and really great but it's also terrifying to learn because we have millions and millions and millions of users that will see things instantly Mm -hmm. and our users are they're not shy from feeding back how they feel about the things we're doing or when we make a mistake. Right. They're very vocal about that. So you, you'll hear it quickly. I love Tumblr. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. <laughs> so you have your day job and you're also like trying to create this, you're undertaking this huge thing. So how, how are you able to manage doing both of those things? That is one of the hardest things I deal with every day. Mm-hmm. It's just the amount of the number of things I'm trying to do at any given time. It's it's really tough because I wake up in the morning, I try to get up around five thirty and go for a run, and then I get ready and go to work. I head into the city, I work at Tumblr, I come home and I try to sit down with my computer and start working on my trans health stuff. Until I'm falling asleep on the couch. It's it's pretty intense, but I also my company's been really, really supportive of this project. And my manager's been really good about kind of looking the other way sometimes when I'm like doing something that's not entirely Tumblr related at work when I'm in the My Trans Health Slack. Um I don't do any coding for My Trans Health mm-hmm. when I'm at work, but I, I am in our Slack some and you know, he knows that we've got the Kickstarter going on right now. So he's been very supportive and he's been asking about that constantly. And he's been spreading the word about it. A lot of my coworkers have given us money. And um, David Karp, our CEO, has mentioned it during our all team meetings. Um, so I have a lot of support from my coworkers, which really, really helps. But there's just only so many hours yeah. in the day. And, it's, you know, at the end of the day, around like 1030 when I'm falling asleep, on the couch, I'm just, you know, I'll, I would give anything to get another six hours mm-hmm. in the day just to get more done. Yeah, I totally understand. Um, so let's go back to the Kickstarter. Um, since you mentioned it again, how is the Kickstarter doing? It's doing great. I'm totally floored by this. I don't think I expected it to do this well. Um, I think the rest of my team was really hopeful and kind of felt like. I think they were more optimistic than I was. Uh, so we asked for 20000 and we hit our goal in 80 hours. So it was less than three and a half days. It was really incredible. And so we, we scrambled to set some stretch goals because we had loosely talked about what they might be, but we hadn't really solidified them. So we set them and... 
we hit the first one last week, I think it was, or the week before. We hit it pretty quickly, and we're already halfway from there to the second stretch goal. We just crossed 30,000 this week, or today, actually. So it's been incredible. It's been really, it's kind of scary, (laughs) (laughs) to say the truth, because it's, you know, you see all these people who are being really supportive. They're giving you, they're literally trust you enough to give you money. It's like, here's money based on faith that you're going to do this thing you say you're doing. So it's like really scary. You don't want to let anyone down. So you, the, I feel like there's so much more pressure now. And before we even launched it, uh, the Kickstarter, that is, I was like, I don't know what's scarier, getting funded or no. the effect or not getting funded. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which one is scarier to me. And I think getting funded might be the scarier option. Well, here you go. Yeah, I am so incredibly grateful for this, though. It's just, it's unbelievable. And I hope we let not a single person down, but it's, there's a pressure. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. Um, so I, I, I was skeptical. I saw it come, I found out about it on Twitter and I was like, oh gosh, you know, what is this going to be? Cause I'm, I'm just so prepared for train wrecks in the trans healthcare space. Um, <sighs> yeah. And so, so are we. Yeah. I know. And so like, I, I, I'm like, all right, well, I've got to check it out because, you know, I've ju- I just have to check it out. And I went and I watched the video and I saw the video with transgender to- people talking about what it was going to be. And I, cause I was so afraid that it was going to be cisgender people trying to, to take this, to undertake this project. And I was like, this is not going to go well because well-meaning as someone might be, it's just not going to happen. And so it was, it actually had, you know, transgender people talking about their experiences. And I was like, all right, I'm sold tonight, like immediately. And I guess I should disclose, I immediately funded $50 or kicked $50 in because, you know, people are going to be like collusion, but like, I think this is amazing. So I did fund. um, And I hope other people, people who are listening now do too. But uh, can we talk about the video? Because that's what convinced me that that I should fund, that I should donate some money towards you. So sure, undertaking a Kickstarter, just putting the project up, whether you fund or not, is huge. There are so many things to consider. So how did you decide to create the video that you created? So we really, I mean, like you said, it was important for us to showcase that we're trans people working on this and to have trans people front and center and the whole team, we're all trans, and we are trying to keep it as much, you know, for us, by us as possible. Because, you know, like you kind of mentioned, it you can't trust a cis person to understand what it's like to deal with healthcare as a trans person, or any experience that trans people have, but in this case, you know, healthcare. So it's really important that we are, you know, entirely within our community in terms of who's working on it and who we're servicing. So when we decided to do the Kickstarter, you obviously have to do a video. And we wanted to go that really honest route of just talking about what the issues are and really speaking directly to people. And that's kind of where it was interesting was we knew that we had to speak to cis people because 
the trans community is disproportionately poor and doesn't have money. We can't be asking trans people to give us money. Because, I mean, one, that doesn't go over very well. And two, trans people don't always have money to give. Um, some people do, but for the most part, you know, we're not all Caitlyn Jenner. Right. In fact, only Caitlyn Jenner is Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> There's only one, yeah. Yeah. So we knew we had to talk to cis people, but we just wanted to keep it really honest and just really share stories. And unfortunately, I actually had a wedding to go to the day that we shot the video, so I wasn't there. And Annika, who is the other engineer, lives in New Hampshire, so she wasn't able to make it. But Robin, who was our designer, and she was one of the people in the video, hopped on a bus down from Boston to film this. We talked to some people that we knew and just wanted to tell our stories. That's great. So I'm I'm looking at the Kickstarter page right now and um some of the things that are highlighted that I want to make sure that listeners of the show understand are that just just reading some of the stats on the page why is my trans health needed and access to quality healthcare is a universal need yet lack of adequate care is a crisis in the trans community so the stats on the Kickstarter are that uh, the trans community has four times the national average rate of HIV infection. Um, half of trans patients educate their doctors. Like they have to talk to them about appropriate pronouns and, you know, things that are and are not appropriate to talk about in the context of their conversation or why they're seeking health care. Um, as I was saying earlier, one in four people delay seeking health care because of discrimination, because they don't want to deal with these types of things. 19% were refused care. So they go to the doctor and the doctor's like, nope, not going to happen. So this is an incredibly needed resource for people. They can go to a website, they can select their community, and they know that the provider that they choose is going to be somebody who they can talk to openly and get the health care that they need, not just, you know, it's not going to be as stressful as it is just like picking off of the insurance sheet or picking someone out of, I don't know, phone books aren't really used anymore, but you know, it's, it's an experience that's, that's poor for the transgender population. And this is something that we can really do to help make it better. Besides giving money though, how can people support my trans health? Uh, there are a number of ways. Um, the One of the biggest and most important things is to just share what we're doing, share the links to our Kickstarter and our Twitter and our site and help us spread the word about what we're doing. And hopefully that helps us increase our funding so that we could do more, we could do more faster. Hopefully that helps get the word out to trans people who need help in, with healthcare and need what we're doing, it'll hopefully allow them to know that we exist. Uh, for people who are trans or providers who care about trans people and want to work with trans people, reach out to us. We have our contact information on the site at mytranshealth.com and tell us you want to get involved or you want to be listed on our site if you're a provider. Talk to us because we're going to need a lot of volunteers and we, and the, you know, the doctors who reach out to us on their own, they're ones that 
generally seem to care and you kind of feel like they're going to get it. So it's really nice to hear from from them. And we've also heard from doctors who have said that either they knew this was a problem and they didn't know how to change it or they didn't know this was a problem, but they want it to change and they want to learn. They've asked us, you know, what can we do better? So if people spread what we're doing and more doctors and trans people find out about it, we can really help connect them. Are there plans for having like online training classes that doctors can take? There are. That's probably a little ways out still. Because uh, the, the first step is is the website and trying to connect people with what's there currently so that they can take advantage of the things that are there. And that's kind of the quickest way that we can make a difference. But we are going to be doing education as well and actually striving to make some changes and help our provider list grow just because there are more people who are capable of providing that care. But it's going to be a long process. It takes a long time to make changes. And we want to, we don't want to wait for those changes. We want to do what we can now while kind of building momentum to make those changes. So where do you see my trans health in like five years? In five years, I hope that we are around the entire globe. I hope that we are regularly talking to doctors and educating them that we've got resources online uh, that they can look at, that they've got their videos that they could do, actual training. I'm hopeful that we will have volunteers in various places who can actually talk face-to-face with doctors. I would like to see us start working in possibly with medical schools to get this training to become part of their curriculum. That would be amazing. Because it's not currently. That, that, I think, is going to be a really tough one. That's going to take a lot of work. I would like to see us really partner with a lot of other sites that help people with health care and so that we can help get the information we've collected out to more people. I would like to see us actually start working to make legislative changes that help with discrimination against trans patients. So there are a lot of things. We We have a lot of ideas and a lot of things we wish to accomplish. And you know, it's going to take time. I don't, I don't know if I can curse on your, on the podcast, but we have uh, two Trello lists on one of on our roadmap. One is ideas, and the other is OMG ideas. <laughs> yeah, the the second one is those are the really big ones that it's you know right now we don't know how to tackle them, but mm-hmm. we're, we're going to figure it out, and we're going to build towards them. But we. We kind of have no limit on what we want to do. It would also be, and this is probably something that you're considering, um, but to be able to say, this is my health care insurance, show me doctors who will accept my insurance. Um, yes. Because I know that's a big thing too. Yes, that is definitely on. That's something that I keep moving back back and forth between ideas and fucking OMG ideas. <laughs> and the distinction is kind of just like how hard that problem is or whether or not it's feasible. But that is definitely something I would love to do to be able to 
interface with what the insurance companies are doing to kind of connect all these dots so that trans people have one place they go to. You know, it would be amazing if we could help them manage health records in certain ways. Or, you know, I have a Google Doc drive of just a copy of all of my lab results that I get every six months. It'd be amazing to be able to like store those for people and just put a lot of this in one place. Mm -hmm. But problems like that are really big to solve because you end up with a lot of privacy issues. Yeah, HIPAA laws. Exactly. So we want to make sure that everything we do, we're doing it right. And that's why we don't want to rush anything. We're not rushing to launch the site until we've, we're ready, until we know it's right. And we're going to incrementally build from there, making sure that each step of the way, we're getting it right. And we're not three steps ahead of where we actually are. We're focusing on each thing and then moving on once we know we've nailed it. That's so hard to do sometimes. Like you want to do everything. You want to do it all. And then you have to pick. I know every day I drop into our Slack channel and I'm just like, oh my God, guys, let's do this and this and this and this. And I think we could do this. And wouldn't it be amazing if we did that? And everyone's like, hold on. And it's really funny because we've all, we've, we all do that every mm-hmm. once in a while. And luckily we're not all doing it at once. We kind of, it'll be like one of us and then everybody else is like, hey, <laughs> Put that on the trailer list. We're going to get there, but let's stay focused. Because, <laughs> you know, we are so eager to do this. And especially now that we're getting all this support and people are also telling us some of the other things they need. They're like, well, what about, are you guys going to do this? It's like, oh, you know, that's a really great idea. We should do that too. I'm really excited to see where this goes. I, you know, it's just... I know that it's so needed, but, um, but yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. And it's going to be amazing to have this resource for the trans community. Yeah. I'm so excited. I just can't, like, I can't wait until we actually launch. <laughs> and we can finally show people like, this is what we're working on. And this is what you've been supporting. And this is just the beginning. This is like the smallest piece of what we're doing. But here it is. So, Amelia, how can people find you and or My Trans Health online? So I am Entirely Amelia pretty much everywhere on the internet. I'm at Entirely Amelia on Twitter. I have a blog at EntirelyAmelia.com. The only place I'm not Entirely Amelia is on Tumblr, interestingly. That's the one that's different. And I'm totally Amelia on Tumblr. Uh, And My Trans Health is My Trans Health everywhere on Twitter, on Tumblr, on Facebook, and at MyTransHealth.com. Awesome. Well, you can find the show on Twitter at Less Than or Equal, not on Tumblr, unfortunately. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to lessthanorequal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it would be wonderful if you would re- if you would leave a review on iTunes. It's really the number one way to help new listeners find the show, unless you decide to talk to them and tell them to listen, which is actually the number one way you can help people find the show. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I am Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.